Welcome. My name is Shannon Wolfe and I'm in the MFA Poetry Programme at McNeese State University. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about Orlando by Virginia Woolf, why this novel is important and the themes that it deals with, specifically in regards to gender roles and sexual identity. I will give you a short summary of the story for clarity in case you haven't read it, but I'll also include a link in this episode description for a YouTube video with a longer synopsis. First of all, I'll speak to the historical context surrounding this novel and a little bit about Virginia herself. What do we know about Virginia Woolf? She's famous for her novels like A Room of One's Own, To the Lighthouse and Mrs. Dalloway. This book is probably my favourite Woolf that I've read so far. Woolf is considered a pioneer of women's writing in the 20th century. Her innovative techniques include the use of stream of consciousness, like in Mrs. Dalloway. Virginia famously committed suicide in the midst of a deep depressive period by walking into a river with stones in her pockets. What about historical context? How does that come into play? Orlando was first published in 1928. In that time, contraception was becoming more widely available, divorce was becoming easier to achieve, and women were beginning to move away from the flapper stereotype and asking for further freedom and rights. Wolf was a member of the Bloomsbury Group, which included other notable artists such as her husband, Leonard, her sister, artist Vanessa Bell, and novelist E.M. Forstra. I've actually been to the place where they lived and worked, Charleston, which was a really powerful atmosphere. In that community, non-monogamous relationships were common and even accepted. Women like Wolf had a power and agency through the freedom and independence that these relationships promoted. Charleston has an LGBTQ legacy all its own. In fact, there's a three-part podcast about Duncan Grant, who was an openly queer member of the group. I'll link it in the description in case you're interested. But I digress. Let's talk about Orlando itself and how it confirms or rejects the restrictions of Wolf's time and the periods before that, all the way back to the Elizabethan era where the novel begins. Orlando is a fictional biography of a nobleman by the same name who undergoes a gender change, age 30, and lives for over 300 years as a woman, only aging by six years in that time. Orlando begins as the son of a rich family in the Elizabethan era, who is given status initially by the queen herself, and subsequently is awarded a dukedom while acting as a British ambassador in Constantinople. During a revolution, Orlando falls into a deep sleep and awakes as a woman and leaves the land with a pack of gypsies before eventually growing homesick and returning to her childhood home. There were issues with Orlando's rights to the land and property given the passage of time and the change in gender. During the course of the novel, Orlando has several romantic relationships, including failed engagements, affairs, and even a marriage, which results in a child born by Orlando after her transition to becoming a woman towards the close of the novel. By the close, Orlando has reached what Wolf knew as present-day England, 1928. What else do we know about Orlando's character? Orlando was inspired by Vita Sackville West, a married woman writer and artist who was Wolf's lover for a decade. This was confirmed by Wolf herself in her 1927 diary where she wrote a biography beginning in the year 1500 and continuing to the present day called Orlando, Vita only with a change about from one sex to the other. 
It's been suggested that Sackville West's sordid family history formed the basis of Orlando's escapades. Nigel Nickerson, son of Vita Sackville West, describes Orlando as the longest and most charming love letter in literature. Of course, Orlando's dedication reads to V. Sackville West. Let's get to the heart of this novel. Why does Orlando matter? I think just the fact that this book was written in 1928 and centers around a transgender lead character is mind-blowing, to be frank. There's so much stigma and transphobia today, and I suspect, unfortunately, that that is not yet finished. And yet, almost a hundred years ago, Wolf, a white woman of privilege, chose to venture down this avenue and with ambition, confidence, no apologies. I just want to look at a couple of passages that best highlight this. Were not the bars of darkness in the room and the yellow pools which checkered the floor made by the sun falling through the stained glass of a vast coat of arms in the window? Orlando stood now in the midst of the yellow body of a heraldic leopard when he put his hand on the windowsill to push the window open. It was instantly coloured red, blue and yellow like a butterfly's wing. Thus, those who like symbols and have a term for the deciphering of them might observe that though the shapely legs, the handsome body and the well-set shoulders were all of them decorated with various tints of heraldic light, Orlando's face, as he threw the window open, was solely lit by the sun itself. This is a really great example of foreshadowing early on in the novel, where Orlando is still just a boy of 16 to indicate to the reader of the change to come. I think it comes across as a very positive change and I really liked the butterfly reference as if his male form is the caterpillar. The typically feminine traits that Orlando embodies are drawn positively too, such as the eye of the reader being constantly drawn to his shapely legs and private eyes. Knowing what is to come, it feels like femaleness is really being celebrated. Moving forward, we see the tr transition or transformation really some 14 years later in Constantinople when Orlando is working as an, as an ambassador. After falling into a deep sleep, which we could perhaps consider acting as a cocoon, Orlando is visited by Lady Purity, Lady Chastity and Lady Modesty. These women or graces call to mind the concept of the angel in the house, the Victorian ideals that dictated the way women conducted themselves at that point. In this case, Wolf appears to call them to the scene to highlight the rejection of this concept and to demonstrate that purity, chastity and modesty were not qualities Orlando would be expected to seek out after this change. Moments later, the reader is shown Orlando waking up from his trance-like state into his new form. Orlando woke. He stretched himself. He rose. He stood upright in complete nakedness before us and while the trumpets pealed truth Truth, truth, we have no choice left but confess. He was a woman. While we have seen gender transformations in other works of literature, uh, Metamorphosis by Ovid comes to mind. It's the way in which Wolf handles the changes that I found particularly remarkable. She employs the they, them pronoun in the moments that come immediately after. Orlando had become a woman, there is no denying it. But in every respect, Orlando remained precisely as he had been. 
The change of sex, though it altered their future, did nothing whatever to alter their identity. Their faces remain as their portraits prove practically the same. As Orlando goes on to encounter people from her earlier life, everyone is accepting. Some are even overjoyed. No one showed an instant suspicion that Orlando was not the Orlando they had known. Moreover, said Mrs. Grimstitch over her dish of china tea to Mr. Tupper that night, if her lord was a lady now, she had never seen a lovelier one. There's a lot to be said for what Wolf is doing here. This is something a lot of us are looking for in storylines in literature and film for queer or transgender characters. Her character is not defined by the change in gender or the gender itself, at least by her contemporaries. Interestingly, Orlando herself does take pause to comprehend the new patriarchal restrictions that her female body has presented, and this expands her worldview, established as it was in her former male body. She remembered how, as a young man, she had insisted that women must be obedient, chaste, scented, and exquisitely apparelled. Now I shall have to pay in my own person for these desires, she reflected. A lot of what is being said in these passages is truly a realisation of how vacuous and false gender constructs are. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. This novel was written 91 years ago, and there are people in 2019 who cannot grasp the they-them pronoun, or still take umbrage at women or men not following their designated social constructs. While in most Western countries, at least it's normal to show women's ankles, Body hair is still denigrated, and while men are able to access their emotion more freely or publicly, there's still a sense of emasculation in that, suggesting that in our still patriarchal society, femininity is negative. If only more people saw a wolf's way. So that's gender. What about sexuality? Absolutely, gender isn't the only concept that Wolf deems pliable or changeable in Orlando. Before the transition, Orlando courted women. And after the transition, Orlando courts men, eventually becoming married to one. There are times where gender is called into question for Orlando's lovers, such as when Sasha, the Muscovite princess, is first introduced. Orlando was ready to tear his hat out with vexation that the person was of his own sex and thus all embraces were out of the question. But the skater came closer. Legs, hands, carriage were a boy's, but no boy ever had a mouth like that. No boy had those breasts. There's a sense of restriction of sexuality that was Sasha to be a man as she had first appeared to be, that she would have been off limits to Orlando, who at the time was male. However, this restriction is unpicked later when another suitor, Archduchess Harriet, presents themselves to Orlando, who is now a woman and reveals themselves to be a man, in actuality, Archduke Harry. Orlando sipped the wine, and the Archduke knelt and kissed her hand. In short, they acted the parts of man and woman for ten minutes with great vigour, and then fell into natural discourse. This acknowledgement of acting the part is pretty wild and to me places both sexuality and gender on a spectrum rather than as rigid rules that these characters are committing to upholding. This again is reinforced later in the novel where we meet Orlando's future husband Marmaduke Bondrop Shalmadine and gender and sexuality again come into play. Oh Shal, don't leave me, she cried. I'm passionately in love with you, she said. 
No sooner had the words left her mouth than an awful suspicion rushed into both their minds simultaneously. You're a woman, shall, she cried. You're a man, Orlando, he cried. Never was there such a scene of protestation and demonstration as then took place since the world began. Shell boasts many of the qualities that would have been deemed feminine at that time, whereas Orlando, with her history and with an investigation ongoing to determine whether her changed gender would prevent her taking ownership of her family estate, still owns male qualities. It couldn't be a more clear demonstration that qualities are person to person, not specific to genders. It also suggests that these two have romantic feelings regardless of their genders, as we would define pansexuality now perhaps, and that the constructs of their period only serve as barriers and are not necessarily respected by these figures. Any final thoughts? Every other page of this book incorporates imagery, characters, or exposition, which links to gender roles and sexuality, subverting the expectations of any 21st century reader. There are certainly other themes to consider in regards to Orlando as well. The construct of the pseudo-biography, for example, and how Wolf uses this as a device to frame a narrative, but still moves against the conventions of the biography to show private moments or thoughts that a biographer couldn't possibly know even if Orlando was a real person rather than a literary character. The passage of time is fascinating also. Over more than 300 years, some characters age and die, some age and, but remain present, and Orlando scarcely ages at all. Sleep plays a really interesting role, how it interacts with memory and the life changes that Orlando endures. The natural state of the world is at play in another way. The great frost and flood in Elizabeth I's time act as a division of the class system. The poor are frozen or separated from the wealthy, who skate on the ice and dine in finest luxury. I really recommend that you give this book a read. Though Wolfe's literary prose style verges on poetry at all times, and some people find her a little flowery, this book is so important for me on a personal level for the canon of literature and how it challenges conventions, and trite though it sounds, in the world at large. Representation matters, and for a trans person to see themselves represented in a book from almost a century ago, and represented so positively as a whole character with a life with conflicts and happinesses, that has a huge deal. I'll leave you with this passage where Orlando is seen reflecting on the nature around her which I feel sums up the intention of this novel so aptly. Thank you. She climbed the mountains, roamed the valleys, sat on the banks of the streams. She likened the hills to ramparts, to the breasts of doves and the flanks of kine. She compared the flowers to enamel and the turf to turkey rugs worn thin. Trees were withered hags and sheep were gray boulders. Everything in fact was something else. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made using Anchor. The voices you heard belong to Shannon Wolf and Thorn Wolf. You can find the works cited in any links mentioned in the podcast description. Happy reading!